Welcome to 28 and Searching. I'm your host, Samantha, and today I have Rick Anderson on with me. Thanks, Rick, for coming on my show. No worries. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you currently residing? How old are you? How long have you been in your industry? That sort of thing. Uh, my name, oh, I live in Port Macquarie, New South Wales, in Australia. I've had a business here for 17 years, scuba diving business. I've been in the scuba diving industry for 20 years this year. Wow. Uh, which I sort of only realized the other day. <laughs> so I've been a professional diver for 20 years. I've been scuba diving for about 27 years. Okay. All up. And pretty much spent most of my life in the water. I am 46 years old at the moment. Okay. So better than half my life underwater. <laughs> okay. And have you have you lived in, I'm assuming you've lived near the water. You've lived in Australia or near um, some sort of body of water for most of your life. Yeah, I, I find pretty much most of my life, I think I moved to the coast uh, from Sydney, out of Sydney to the coast uh, when I was about six or seven years old, and I've been in the water pretty much ever since. Okay, very cool. So what exactly is your job title, and what does it mean you do, if you had to explain it to somebody who'd never heard of it before? Okay, I'm a scuba diving instructor, but that encompasses... Uh, a number of things. I can be a guide because one of the processes you go through is to be a dive master, which means you're a guide so you can show people around underwater uh, and help other instructors with work. But as a dive instructor, predominantly I'm teaching people to scuba dive, uh, to free dive, to snorkel, all of those things that involve your body going underwater. Okay. And so there, because there are quite a few different types of underwater diving, right? So you can do all different types. I can do all different types. Not not all instructors can. Many, many stick to one, one type of training because they're comfortable in that area. But I've spent a lot of time scuba diving and just for a change you might go for a normal free dive where you just put a mask and a snorkel on and swim out and just swim around with the fish and sometimes you might want to go out and hunt for your food and go spear fishing and chase for lobsters or fish that you want to feed your family with that is super cool. I didn't even consider the hunting portion of going underwater. So you also can do that sort of thing. You can te- Do you teach people to do that or is that something you do for fun? I mostly do it for fun, but I do teach people when they come, when they approach me and if they've got a, enough common sense about them, I'm quite happy to teach them to <laughs> spearfish. Spear you, that you're might be dangerous, them a right? Yeah, I was going to say that could be kind of dangerous, right? <laughs> That's it. If you're giving them a weapon, you really want to know they're switched on before you get in the water. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so what if people want to find you, what's the name of your company so that they can come, they can go look you up? Well, I tried to keep things very simple. So it's Rick's Dive School. Perfect. Easy. I like it. And so how, besides living by the water, how did you get into scuba diving? Uh, I, um, as I said, I've always snorkeled or free dived or, or any of those sort of things. But from the youngest age, I always wanted to be a scuba diver. Uh, in in my little book where you write stories when you're six years old, when you start school, mm-hmm. I, I wrote that when I grow up, I want to be a skin diver and hunt sharks. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, back in... <laughs> Back, back then, all types of diving, regardless of what you were doing, was called skin diving. So I've pretty much stuck to my guns. I always wanted to do it. I just didn't have the opportunity to learn to scuba dive until I was 19 because my mother has an adamant fear of sharks and oh, wow. would, <laughs> would, would not let me do a scuba diving course when I was still living at home. So I had to wait till I'd finish school and go and do it off my own bat. And how does she feel start... now about your, I mean, you're around sharks a lot. Oh yeah. She prefers I don't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want to see photos and she just doesn't want to know what at all. Oh man. Okay. Fair enough. But, um, I did. I did go through a, a process. Like I, I did the open water course, which is your beginner course. Okay. Um, and from there, I realised that this is exactly what I wanted to do, and um, started diving for a number of years, just with friends and on charters, and really getting to enjoy what what I was doing. And so how did you how did you own your own dive school? How did that how did that come to be to actually be, you know, an owner? Uh, back at the turn of the century, which sounds like it's an awful long time ago when you <laughs> say it that way. I was I was working on liverboard dive boats in North Queensland. Mm-hmm. And um, I had had to uh, well, I have two. I had two kids at the time, and my wife, and uh, she wanted to move back here where we had lived. So I decided we came back here, and I didn't want to let go of what I was doing. So I decided to set up my own my own business. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Um... And so uh, you talked about how you did one of the beginner courses is I'm assuming becoming a, a, a scuba instructor and somebody with the extent of all the different types that you do is extensive in training. Yeah, there's a, there's a definite process to go through. You start at your open water, which is your beginner level. Mm-hmm. Then you go through a number of little steps on the way to build up some experience and practice your skills and clock up a little bit a little bit of time underwater and around people and the equipment you 
when you get so you go through open water, you're advanced open water, a couple of specialties, so you know, special areas of diving such as wreck diving, shark diving, deep diving, photography. Uh, if you can think of it, there's probably a specialty for it. And then you do a rescue course where you learn how to deal with adverse situations and problems that may arise with other divers and also to prevent those sort of problems popping up for you. Mm -hmm. Once, Once you've done that, that's sort of the top of the recreational part of it. You can then step into your first if you've got a, a quite a few dives up, usually it's about 60, 60 dives, so you've got a little bit of experience. Sure. You can move into the Dive Master course, which takes a couple of months to work your way through. The longer the Dive Master course goes for, uh, the more experience you gain because you're becoming a guide. You're becoming that person that thinks for everyone else that's out on a boat or in the water. Yeah. at the time, all those novice divers. So you'll learn to deal with just about anything and everything as a, as a dive master trainee, hopefully. That way when you do, if you go into the workforce as a dive master, you can trust in yourself that you're capable of looking after everyone that's in your charge and they can trust you that you should be able to help them if, something goes wrong because a lot of people are always going to be a novice diver. They only dive when they go on holidays. So that might be once or twice a year that they go for a dive. Yeah. Yeah. So every, every year it's a new experience. Um, after working a little while as a dive master, then you can look at going on to your instructor ratings learning to teach all those skills to all those people, all those different levels of diver. Mm -hmm. And um, so they can gain experience. But you definitely need to know the ins and outs of just about every facet of scuba diving to, to move into that instructor qualification. Okay. And so how long total... To get to your type of experience level, um, besides obviously, you know, the amount of time you've been doing it, but just in the training portion, how long do you think it takes to get through all those courses? Uh, You can, there are places around where you can get through those courses in three or four months. Oh, wow. Um, it's, It's very rushed. It's not something that I sort of endorse I think you're better off taking a year or two years to go through all those courses so you actually gain the experience yeah. rather than diving the exactly exact same conditions with the exact same type of people every day for those, those periods of time um, but you can knock it knock it over in quite a short period of time Okay. And so I know like, um, you know, when people jump out of planes or, you know, do like paragliding or, you know, skydiving, they have to have a certain amount of hours before they're able to do like jumps by themselves. Is it kind of similar with scuba diving where you have to have a certain number of hours under your belt or is it just passing the classes and getting the certifications? 
Um, it's not so much hours, it's actual dives. Okay. Because di- dives vary between individuals, the air consumption. Some people are heavier breathers than others. Sure. But you still are working on minimum minimum dive level dives accumulated before you can go to the next step each time okay so there is a so, so an amount of experience very, yeah it's a, there's a minimum experience okay. to get to each level the more experience you get obviously the easier everything is yes i, I can imagine and i mean with that many people's, you know, lives, like you said, being novice, they don't know better if something happens. It would be beneficial to take your time when getting certified for this. Yeah, okay. that's right. Okay. And so if somebody's interested in becoming a scuba diving instructor, what or, or even a guide for that matter, what would be kind of a good starting point or an entry-level job that they can see if this is right for them? Uh, quite often if they can get work on a boat or in a resort where there's a lot of people around, quite often a resort will just have someone that's going to, especially in tropical locations, will have someone that might take a group out for shallow water snorkeling. So they're they're getting used to having people follow them around but everything's done on the surface. It's not done underwater. Or if they're working from a boat, they might be in a sort of a buoyed-off section of reef where they can keep all the snorkelers wearing flotation devices and just they're swimming around. But you do need to, to see if you really like it, you do need to be working where those crowds of people are getting in the water and you have to explain the safety facets of everything to them on a day-to-day basis gives you a very good good idea of whether that's the sort of thing you want to do if you're not a people 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 person Mm -hmm. uh, you might find it a little bit difficult (laughs) i could see that (laughs) i could see that and so, um, since, I mean, honestly, I've never been scuba diving. I've never been snorkeling. So I don't know a whole lot um, about the different types. Is there like a beginner type, you know, that's maybe easier to instruct or guide versus maybe harder types? Yep. Um, what you're looking at, like beginner sort of snorkeling is basically there'll be a life vest or a flotation device put on the individual. Okay. And they just swim swim around on top in relatively shallow water. Okay. Like they're not they're not trying to go to the bottom. The more advanced snorkeling is generally what we call free diving. And so you're not using that flotation device. You're swimming into a little bit deeper water and diving down to the bottom and there's a fair bit of breath control training required with that. But you're getting to the swimming down to look at the bigger fish in the deeper water on one breath, and then you come back up. That's a little bit more dangerous because you are going deeper on one breath. Sure. And it has 
you have a number of number of little dangers that can affect that on top of being in deeper water where you've got currents and um, more moving water and bigger fish. With with um, scuba diving, um, I mentioned the beginner course, which is your open water course. So that's actually a full course. But if you're in a resort or just, just on holiday somewhere and you want to see if you actually do like being underwater for a period of time with scuba equipment on. So you're looking at equipment that weighs like 18 kilograms when it's when you when you have everything on for the average person um so you want to know if if that's something that you want to do so you can do what's called an introductory dive or a resort dive which are are run by most dive operations so it's a one-off experience uh you put uh you get a safety briefing an explanation of how everything works and starting in shallow water you have a little bit of a play do the couple of basic skills like getting water out of your mask and recovering your regulator which is the mouthpiece that you're breathing off underwater um, which they're pretty important because you want to keep them clear and breathing uh, working yeah. so you <laughs> yeah. can you can see and breathe what you what you're doing underwater and um but from that point, so you might start that in knee deep, uh, sort of sitting on your knees in that little bit of water with your head just underwater. And then you slowly make your way down to five or six metres underwater and swim around with the fish and get a true sensation of whether you want to be there or not. Okay. Very cool. So there's, there's a range. They're looking for people in a range of different areas when you're talking about diving. Yes, most definitely. And what kind of personality traits do you think work best as a scuba diver instructor? Um, you need to be open-minded, <laughs> very, very, very open-minded. Um, you can't be um, a total stress head if every little thing's going to bother you. Uh, you, you're not going to be able to handle it because every class you're going to have people making the same mistakes they made in the previous class. It's just those are things that just don't register in people's heads until they've practiced them a few times. Sure. Um, but mostly positive, switched on, and um, willing willing to sort of make your own way confidence confidence in yourself because you're talking to people every day every day you're you're explaining how how the equipment works uh what you're going to do the plan for the the session uh whether be it a course or just a charter and um, so you need you need to be able to talk to people you can, it's it's it is a very difficult thing if you if you're shy, because, like <laughs> excessively shy, because yeah. you have to speak to to people, and and that can that can be a little bit hard. Uh, you get a mixture of languages, nationalities, yes, uh, which which can make all sorts of 
things difficult. Yes. But if if you're if you can express yourself, people are going to understand or come close to understanding what what you're telling them. So you're just probably open-minded and sort of positive, sort of relative, reasonably confident in yourself are probably the two main things. Yeah, I, I can tell you if I was going underwater, I would absolutely want somebody who was confident in their abilities to keep me alive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so what do you think is the one personality trait that's the worst? Like if somebody has this, they should stay as far away from this as they can possibly get. Um, <laughs> if they're scared of water, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That would be, uh... if, if, if if that's in the back of their mind at all times, if there's if there's someone that's very flighty or nervous, um, that that individual that's sort of scared of the dark, sure, because you can see underwater, but we've all got this mindset. It's it's ingrained into us from from birth that if you go in the ocean, the monsters are going to get you. Yeah. And so basically it's like walking down a dark alley in some people's – the back of some people's minds. It's like walking down that dark back alley in the middle of a city and and people get worried about that. So if they're if – they're, a nervous sort of person or nervous about the water, very, very shy. You can build up away from shy and that just takes experience. On boats, I've worked with shy people before. Some have come good, um, some haven't. Sure. But you've basically, you've just got, like anything, the younger you are, obviously, the more shy you tend to be. So you've just got to not be not be that nervous high strung individual because people are out there to freak you out <laughs> yeah I, I i can absolutely understand that and so what's a part of your personality that you've struggled with where either you've had to change what you're doing or change yourself to kind of fit into this career um Oh, that's a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> I I think probably being more tolerant. Like I, I worked in industry before I became a dive instructor. I did my trades in a metal industry. And so you, you're working with people and you become a little bit shorter fused yeah. than, than you'd like to be because – that's industry that's commercial industry and um probably my tolerance of people is probably the main thing that has improved with time like so many people frustrate you when you first come into the industry those people still frustrate you but you don't let it worry you anymore (laughs) being, being this deep this deep into the into the game yeah absolutely yeah and uh my husband worked as a welder, so I know the gruffness that can come. <laughs> That's it. That's right there. 100%. <laughs> and, 
And so if somebody's looking at doing this, if they want to be, um, you know, a scuba instructor or a guide, um, what's kind of the different options they have? I mean, you started your own business, but you said you also worked for a place. So are there like, is there a pretty big market for this or is it where you, you know, it's very small, it's very niche or what, what is it? What does the job market kind of look like for this? Okay. Scuba diving is still a growing, growing industry. It did stagnate a little bit about five, six years ago. We had, um, we had, uh, the GFC, the global financial crisis, which mm-hmm. sort of dampened a lot of tourism based activities, yes. uh, on the East coast of Australia, we had a series of floods over the summer months that happened over a couple of years that dampened the industry, sure. um, in that regard, but scuba diving is, oh, and Places like the um, the Bahamas, the Caymans, uh, Florida, mm-hmm. another another prime diving area. They had Hurricane Irma yep. last year. Uh, they're still rebuilding and trying to get things back up and and running over there. But as a as an ongoing industry, it's it's getting bigger. It's it's always growing, and there, there's plenty of work opportunities. Be it working from a dive shop where you you go out on a day boat or you're shore diving or or just doing classes or working in the the shop itself selling dive equipment or just as the on the retail side of things uh up to working on liverboard dive boats where you'll go out for overnight three days a week two weeks the, the range is quite open. Uh, some of those liverboard dive boats, you might get work as a hostie, so just doing the general bed making and kitchen duties, things like that, and you might slowly build up your dive experience while you're working on the boat. That's invaluable experience. I work with many people, many girls that were doing that that work to work up to their instructor ratings. They were spending the time at sea. They were getting to see a ver- variety of people and gaining that extra experience. Plus, they were getting to dive um, on go- uh, once they'd finished their workload. They were getting to dive. They were gaining experience. It was just a win-win situation. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of a good that's kind of a good point. So if somebody wants to do this and maybe they're not at that experience level to open their own shop, they you're you're saying that they can go work at some of these places. So either on the boats or maybe, you know, around a resort in the area of doing this or at a actual shop and kind of gain the experience of the business as well as getting their experience built up. Yeah, definitely. Like the, there's many, many opportunities. Obviously, the bigger opportunities are in tropical locations, sure. Because yeah. there's always there's always going to be a bigger turnaround with with tourism. Um, places where it gets cooler, that's a different. That sort of runs a little bit more seasonally. If you're in quite quite cold weather, you do have your divers that are diving 
year round uh, that are quite happy. They're keen to dive. They just want to get underwater and blow bubbles and see what's going on, mm-hmm. see what animals they can play with or what they can take photos of or, or any of those sort of things. But there, there is a great, great capacity within the industry to to come in in, in many different facets. And so if people, would it be almost a qualifier for them to want or need to travel? Because it sounds like, you know, there might be specific locations or maybe they might need to go to different places to get work in this industry. Um, I personally think one of the, the greatest things you can do to sort of get the, get the most out of this industry is to want to be free and easy. Okay. Explore, explore the world. Uh, it starting out, I think it's a much easier industry if you're single mm-hmm. to to get started to get through the first little facet of it. Sure. Because because you are there are time restrictions. If you if you've got a young family, you you're going to find it a little bit time restrictive because you're going to do a lot of this stuff you if you're on a liveaboard dive boat you're gone for a couple of days to a couple of weeks so you might not be seeing your family okay. uh, if you're working from a shop they're usually early starts pretty much normal normal finish times peak seasons your your time is much longer You'll be running into the night, filling bottles and servicing gear and, and getting everything ready for the next day when it's busy. Um, it truly is a lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. It, it is exactly what it can be. Let me rephrase that. It can be exactly what the, um, the pictures depict, <laughs> kicking back on an island, having a beer and just enjoying life. Um, but there is a lot of work to to get to that point so you gotta earn it. you've got to earn it you can't you can't shy away no one's going to hand you anything in this industry mm-hmm. so you have to be willing to to chase what you want and if you want to blow bubbles meet different people be in the ocean encounter wildlife that many people most people will never see, will never understand. Uh, you'll find throughout the diving industry those that are very committed to the diving, those that just have a serious passion for diving and find it difficult to talk. Well, don't find it difficult to talk to people, but find it difficult for people to understand why they're saying what they're saying and talking with such passion about the animals that they've just been swimming with or the fact that they just swam around and saw nothing through the dive. Um, I went for a – because we were having this interview today. Yeah. I went for a, for a muck-around dive with an old friend. We were using underwater scooters, which basically just propel you along like a torpedo that you've seen oh, – you would have cool. seen in – movies that's cool and we've died the spot we went we've dived it a million times it's just one of those spots and we've just been in there we found 
found a um, about 150, 160-year-old bottle wow. on the bottom. Wow. Right. Um, and and we both got excited. Like, we've found things before. We found shipwrecks. We've done all this. Been in this spot a million times. and But we both could express our excitement underwater. You can't talk underwater. <laughs> and we both buzzed and we both came out talking the exact same thing about how special it was to find something something like that. There's nothing – it's not a particularly exciting dive site. It was just somewhere where we thought, well, we'll get in here, we'll have a quick run, we'll get wet. Um, so you do have – if you're passionate about this – about being in the water, this is a – it's a great – great job to have okay and so what would you say are you know maybe some of the drawbacks of doing it uh the drawbacks can be bad weather so you might have uh, jobs booked in Mm -hmm. and the weather turns horrible and you can't do those jobs so you might watch a week's worth of money walk away oh yeah okay Um, that's that's probably the thing that hurts me the most. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, uh, nothing you can do, right? There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. If the weather weather comes up when you've got bookings, sometimes you can postpone it, but sometimes those people are on holidays. So that was the that's the opportunity that they have to dive and they um, and spend their money with you and you can't can't take them. So it's just bye bye. That's probably the biggest drawback like any job there's long hours there's lots of work you're always chasing chasing work <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's like like any job in sure. in the overall thing there's always stuff to service and maintain equipment to wash air bottles to fill it's all it's just time consuming stuff and i when i started this business i had two two young boys like both under under the age of five Uh, and i start one of the reasons i started the business for myself rather than working for someone else was so i could pick the hours that i wanted to work yeah and spend time with my family while they were growing up so that's that's an advantage to the, the disadvantage was if you are in the industry and you're working for yourself, you can can pick the um, what you're going to do work-wise so you can um, spend the time with your family. Okay. And so what has been the worst day of your career so far? <laughs> um, no real worst day. Probably... <sighs> Nothing crazy I'm, I'm, happened. I would assume that there was some life-changing, horrible um, instance that's occurred. Yeah, it's that's a hard one. I think it's the word worst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, probably the a really a scary day in recent history. I was diving with a um, very close friend, and um, we happened to swim through it. We were doing a shark dive, which was all well and good. Nothing, nothing 
scary in that. But we went through a point where we swam through some dirty water and she sort of got decided something was wrong and she stopped and hid in under a rock or under a overhang in that dirty water. Mm. Um, I swam a couple of meters, but we were just in a section of dirty water where the visibility was very, very poor. And I swam a couple of meters, felt something go past my leg and I've turned to see if she was still there and she wasn't there. And I've sort of, that just didn't make sense because she was never not right there yeah. on any dives that I've ever done, regardless of conditions, visibility, whatever. And all the alarm bells had gone off in my head just before that moment, like just before I felt whatever went past my leg. Mm-hmm. I've turned around, I've backtracked, but she was in dirty water and there was a bit of whitewash where there was waves breaking on the top of the because it was next to a rock island and there was waves breaking on the top. So there was a lot of bubbly water. If you imagine a, your champagne or a bottle of soft drink or something shaken up. Okay. So I couldn't, couldn't quite see. So I've backtrapped, couldn't see her. Alarm bells are still going off. I've done, done a bit of a search, gave up searching on the bottom, came to the surface, still no sign of her. I've covered all the ground back and forth around the end of this island and um, couldn't see her. And I've climbed up on the on the rock mm-hmm. and I'm looking and this was all over a five-minute period. And I've, I've come up on the rock, still no sign of it, and then finally she pops up away from where we were. Mm. She decided safe to move and swam off and tried to navigate back to where we'd come from. My alarm bells are still going off and I'm yelling at her to come back and get over near the reef. We regrouped, sorted all that out, went and did our dive with the sharks that we wanted to dive with, which are grey nurse sharks, which are big sharks. They're proper sharks, but they're, they're docile okay. animals. Mm-hmm. We've done finished our dive. We've gone back in. We got out off the beach. And we're standing there pulling our gear apart and I see a seal jump out of the water. Then the seal jumps back out of the water, right where she, my friend, had surfaced. Oh. The next time the seal came out of the water, a great white shark had it in its mouth. Oh. And we watched it devour the seal right where she had surfaced, where we'd been diving. That's probably the scariest dive I've had recently because I thought... Oh, my goodness. Because that seal is exactly what I thought had happened to my friend. Oh my goodness! That, so, that, that... very very rare occurrence, but yeah. we just happened to be in a spot where things went a little bit funny. <laughs> we did every everything went all right after that, but then we watched what was going on, and obviously, women's intuition made a hide under the rock. And with my alarm bells going off just after she disappeared, I know something swam past my leg, so it's a good chance it was the great white. And then we watch it eat this seal on the surface. That's crazy. As as we get out of the water. So uh, that's probably the worst one. 
I've had in the last oh, in the last 15, 16 years, I reckon. So what I hear is that's where your calm and your ability to listen to intuition come in handy in this industry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Believe in your sixth sense. Be superstitious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. mm-hmm. It's all there for a reason. It's better to be to to listen to it than not. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. If you if you ignore your superstition, uh, your your sixth sense, that that alarm bell ringing in the back of your head, mm-hmm. going, you should not be here. Go home. Yeah. <laughs> Pack up and go home. You have you have to do that. I've come down because I have had things sort of. Not well. They haven't quite gone to plan. Sure. But where they haven't gone to plan, I've ignored things that were going wrong beforehand. Mm. So now it's a two two strike rule. If two things go wrong before I get in the water, I'm not risking the third one. <laughs> yeah. So that can be anything from forgetting a, a dive mask for a customer, or forgetting a weight belt or one of the dive bottles accidentally being knocked so the air valve's on and it, it's empty or low on air when you get to the dive site or a, a mast strap breaks when you're getting ready or a fin strap breaks. Little things like that sort of, they're just alarm bells. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't trust them, that third thing might be really bad. Yeah, yeah, I can I can understand not wanting to risk it. That that I mean, and I'm sure experience has helped to put those um, alarms in you know in your subconscious. It's telling you to stop for a second, give it a break. Oh, def oh definitely. Like I've I have swum with all the big sharks, all the supposedly big and scary sharks. And sometimes it has been a little bit scary. Mostly the first time you see something like a great white underwater or a tiger shark or a bull shark, you see them underwater for the first time. Yeah, it gives you that little heart rush. Yeah. But the next time, the next time they're around, you actually pick up on the sensation that you had when they were there. So even before they, you see them, you know they're there, and and you're switched on and you and you see when they come in so everything's hunky-dory like the shark comes in it has a look at you you have a look at it and they swim off and do their do the sharky thing sure yeah everyone's curious everything under the sea is curious whether it's people being under the sea curious about what fish are doing or it's the animals under the sea curious about what's this thing making all this noise (laughs) blowing bubbles under like being under the sea is just a totally um, curious experience. Okay. And so we've taken the worst, you know, something super scary. What about the opposite? So what's been the best day or moment or thing that's happened in your career so far? All right. Uh, the best I can do. That's easy. <laughs> uh <laughs> Back when I was working on liveaboard dive boats, I was in North Queensland diving on the Yongava shipwreck, which is the number six best shipwreck in the world. 
not so much that it's a thrilling, exciting ship, but it has such a large array of fish life on it from mm. t- millions of tiny fish to just big fish. Sure. Um, very big fish. And I was doing a particular dive and what we used to do was one instructor would lead the group down, especially on our last dive of the trip. These were three-day liverboard dive trips and that's usually where we finished our dives on this wreck. And you'd sort of one instructor would go down and lead them along and then he'd come up and start sorting things out while everyone was just enjoying the, the life on the reef. And whoever was the other instructor would usually come down and just make sure they all got out of the water, untie all the lines that were used to be tied to the wreck. Now there's mooring lines there, but um, used to be tied to the wreck, so you'd have to wait. But I did this dive, and we'd, we'd seen a, a humpback whale playing near all the liverboards. Wow. Um, between the two dives, and we sort of, we don't want, you don't want divers going too close to it because if the whale panics, it might take off in a hurry. And it's a lot of weight behind their tail when they, they start moving. They're, yes. they're a big animal. Mm-hmm. And um, so we put the, put the fear into everyone and it's telling them, if you see it, stay well clear. Um, thinking, oh, yeah, all right, we're good. We're not going to see it. No way. The other instructor, I'm past the other instructor on the way down. He gives me a sing- signal that the humpback's off in the distance. And I've gone, all right, well, fair enough, I missed it. I get to the opposite end of the shipwreck, and here's 16 heads, all hiding. Now, the shipwreck's on its side, so they're, they're basically laying on the deck of the, the wreck, mm-hmm. peering over the edge. And I'm like, I'm 16 heads, and they're all tight together, and I'm thinking, great, we're going to finish this dive with a big tiger shark, which was pretty common on that particular site and I thought it's going to be close because they're all freaking out and I'm looking and it's like yeah yeah they'll be right I turn around <laughs> here's this juvenile humpback male oh, no. all four all 14 meters of him just hanging in the water behind me oh, he's hanging gosh. upside down and he's just hanging there and we're drifting along in the current and it's like, this is terrific. How good's this? <laughs> and what happens with a whale is they sort of create their own little vortex, their own little atmosphere. So there's a, the currents drifting along the along the wreck, and somehow I end up between this whale's pectoral fins. Mm. So he's sort of drawn me in with his own little eddy or vortex whatever you want to call it and i'm like this is cool <laughs> like i'm arms, not even a not even a full arm's left length off his chest just laying between his pectoral fins now this is 14 meters of animal yeah and i could hear this funny noise as my as i'm breathing out my bubbles are going up his belly up his chest and up his belly, and he was giggling. Oh, my god! He was giggling with the sensation, and I'm like, no way. And I'm there, and I'm going, this is too good. And I, I had to do it. 
I've reached out and I just started patting him on the chest like you would with a dog laying on its back. Oh, my gosh. Giggling and carrying on. He was loving it, absolutely loving it. This went on for about a good 10 minutes. And at this stage, I'm sort of realized that all the, um, the novice divers that were on the still hiding, it was time for them to go up. So I've turned around and I've given them all the up signals. So they've all swum up the other end of the wreck to surface. And I'm still drifting, drifting along with this humpback. And I sort of got to a point where I was about 100 metres past the end of the wreck. Now, this shipwreck's in the middle of nowhere. There's no land. The closest land's like 30 kilometres away. Oh, my gosh. And, and I'm drifting on and I'm like, all right, I've got to go. This is too good, <laughs> but I've got to go. So I give him one last pat. And I've swum up and started swimming back up the up the length of the wreck to where the ropes were tied off. Checked checked above me and the last of the divers was getting out of the water. So I start untying the ropes. As I'm doing it, all the fish disappear. And I'm like, now this is a wreck that is covered in fish. You generally got to push them out of the way so you can see oh. where you're going. <laughs> okay, so it's odd. Okay. And They've all disappeared, and I'm I'm back to the all right. The tiger shark thing is happening now. No, the whales come within ten meters of me, swimming as fast as he could, straight past me, and then breached behind where the boat was on oh the surface. Gosh. So I've watched him breach from underwater. He's come back down, and then he's just swum off. I've finished untying did what I had to do and surfaced and they're all gone. The skipper's going, oh, you missed the best breach straight behind the boat. And I'm going, no, I didn't. <laughs> I saw it all. Oh so that, that is my best, best dive experience ever. Now, I have swum with whales since, but I've never been sort of married up, like cuddled up by one as such. Since then, I've had whales come past me. I've had them have a look at me, but that far outweighs any any dive that I've ever done. That is very cool. That is spectacular. I love that. That's amazing. That's a pretty that's a pretty hard best day to beat, for being honest. Yeah, yeah I've, <laughs> I've tried. I can't. <laughs> And this is a silly question, slightly off topic, but so I live in Washington State. I don't know if you've ever been here. Uh, no, I haven't. But so the Pacific Northwest has orcas. So I didn't know if, yep. is that something that like people dive here? Like I've just never heard, because we have really bad weather. We have really crappy weather here. Um, you know, it rains most of the year. So it's not like good, but I didn't know if you knew, like, do people dive here? Um, there are people are starting to realise that they can dive with orcas. Mm. Uh, there are places where they are diving with them. Uh, Alaska is probably the main place. Okay. Uh, Norway is the other spot that they're doing it a fair bit. But the, the, it's a little bit difficult. There's a there's a high degree of experience needed. Obviously, the water's oh, yeah. colder. Yeah. Where they where they tend to be, um, and when you talk about orcas, they are the top of the food chain. They are the apex predator. Yes. Above above sharks, above anything else. 
killer whales. It's a bad terminology, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not it's not something that that I like to say. But the orcas, they they are the top of. Yeah, it is becoming a. It's starting. It's something I desperately want to do. I think for a big dolphin, it'd be just so awesome to swim with with them. Um, They are very, very intelligent animals. Um, But they, there are uh, there are places you. It's just a matter of sort of. Finding finding where people are doing it. I know the two main places currently are um, Alaska and and Norway where they they're swimming with them. So when you're and, when but, you're talking about Alaska and Norway, you said that since it's colder, so you have to have more experience to be in colder climates to do dives. It's uh it's it's a different type of diving. You're wearing okay. the um, instead of wearing a wetsuit. You're wearing what's called a dry suit, which um, there's extra training required with that. It's much more cumbersome. It's like wearing a pair of coveralls. Okay. Underwater, like watertight coveralls with boots built into them. Okay. A bit like all all over waders, if you imagine a pair of um, fishing waders. Sure. Yep. That they wear rubber pants. Um, yeah, it's a it's a bit like that. So there there is that that added into the equation, but because they are the apex predator, um, and they are very very big, it's sort of that's where the experience okay. level needs to be. You need to be familiar with diving with top predators, um, because they can change their attitude in a heartbeat. Sure. Where every everything's hunky dory, and then you do something that is dumb or aggressive to them, and they take a dislike to that, and that's where accidents happen. Yeah. So like so big cats. That, that, <laughs> yeah. Any any predator, any big predator, you yeah. you need to be aware of how to deal with with animals. Like they they all look peaceful and and nice. While they while they are peaceful and nice and happy, but if you do the wrong thing, like anything, like sure. people, you do the wrong thing to a person, they they're going to become aggressive. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a little bit of a if you if you understand animals, especially predatory animals, yeah. it just makes it so much easier. It means you can get a bit closer to to that particular animal. Um, Sharks are terrific. You can swim with just about all the, or you can swim with all the sharks. You just got to be able to read their mannerisms. They tell you when they're not happy. Sure. They 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 let it out. Um, orcas, if they're not happy, it's going to happen really quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a um, video floating around this week of two kids swimming um somewhere and two orcas go past the two boys two young boys in a canal or a a lake or something with no interest in them they sort of it's like that old cartoon of the skier crashing into the tree and the skis going in two deep and operate off (laughs) sorry 
two different directions. <laughs> yeah. The orcas are approaching these two boys in the water and they go both go either side and keep going and back out to sea. No interest in in causing any harm whatsoever. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so they they're all wild and like anything in the wild like there's more wild animals in the ocean than there are left sort of on land yeah because civilization civilization's just crowded many of the wild animals out so it's much less than what we what we'd see where the ocean there's still still many predators and a lot of them have never never seen a person before which which can be funny can be funny i've had a (laughs) Number number of bull sharks, which are supposedly big and scary, but they bull sharks are a shark that go up river to have their pups, and then they sit there and they might get if there's not been a lot of rain, they might get trapped up in a swimming hole above rapids until there is a lot of rain, and then they've they've had their pups and they come out. But the thing with a shark living in a river, it's going to get very boring when all they're eating is turtles and catfish. Yes. So when they do come out, they get very curious and want to have a good look at anything and everything. And we had a little bit of a rain at the end of last year and I was doing a couple of boat cleaning jobs on some yachts. And um, as I'm cleaning away, you're knocking barnacles off and making a lot of commotion underwater. We'd had this bit of rain. There was a lot of meter-long bull sharks swimming around. Mm. And they'd come up and they'd be swimming over the top of you and bumping into you just to see what you were because you weren't a turtle and you weren't a catfish. Let's have a look. So curiosity <laughs> was was getting the better of them. Yeah. I probably, probably had a dozen little bull sharks over a two-week period, which which was quite funny. Yeah. For, for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, yeah. The, I, I could imagine. I mean, it would be, f- for, like, me imagining it, it would be surreal almost of being bothered constantly by something that's supposed to be this big, bad predator. Yeah. And it, it was purely the... Like in the situation, they just wanted to see what was going on. Why was I making all that noise? Why was I making such a mess in the water with all the barnacles? Plus, you got all the little fish eating the barnacles that you and other growth that you're knocking off the bottom of the boat as as you're cleaning it. So you're the, so, the ocean at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, do you currently have any type of expansion plans for your business, or anything coming up that's exciting that you're looking forward to? Um, I'm planning on later this year uh, selling up and moving back to the tropics and setting myself back up on a liverboard dive boat. So doing the same thing, but being back on a boat that I work on and spend more time at sea my kids have grown up so it's it's time to um chase the next adventure so i'm going to buy a big boat and um do what i do best take people diving very exciting 
And so we've kind of gone over what it means to be a scuba diving instructor and guide. I just have a few more questions for you. What is the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Don't be precious. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Does that make sense? I'm sorry? Does that make sense? Um, Does that... Kind of, but go ahead and explain it to me. You can't let little things bother you. Just keep plowing through, do what you got to do, believe in what you think is right. If it's wrong, well, just believe in what you did. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> and then what is something you would – what is one piece of advice you would give someone who's currently feeling um, – like they're not in the right career path or maybe they're feeling um, almost down on where they're at in their work life? Uh, Main piece of advice I would give is you should live life. Um, Don't live to work. Um, That's just just not worth doing. If If you're not happy in what you're doing, if you if there's something that you're passionate about or something that you want to try, try it. Don't don't be scared. Jump, take that leap. Can always there's always going to be a job. Yeah. If you're not happy, and if you're not happy in that the job that you're doing, you you're not living life. You're just going through a grind that is just it's going to kill you it's not worth worth doing just just working for the sake of working because you feel like i'm secure and safe now when i was 28 i rented my house out and i moved to north queensland i'd been a metal worker for over eight years at that point and i completely changed my career my occupation that was a safe job it was guaranteed work every day and i went to north queensland i had no job lined up i got i had a young family and i just took that leap of faith and it's paid off for me yeah absolutely i couldn't agree with you more well, I thank you so much for coming on and spending this time with me and telling me about your career. And I look forward to hearing about your adventures in the new, the big boat and the next best thing for you. Awesome. It's been great chatting. If you like this episode or you're looking to change your career, go to 28andsearching.com or become a patron to get exclusive content sent directly to you. See you next week.